Would you please turn to the book of Numbers? It's the fourth book in the Old Testament. At this time of the year when we uh, move into a new Sunday school year, traditionally I like to preach a sermon. It's kind of uh, has to do with getting back into things and new start and etc. That's what I want to do this morning under the title, Back to the Future. Somebody asked me if I was going to quote Michael J. Fox. Well, I, I, it's not from Michael J. Fox. The title, though, is Back to the Future. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. Skipping to verse 17 now. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. And how is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? And how is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time for the first of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob at Lebo Hamath. When they'd gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is the fruit, nevertheless. The people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go in, go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're too strong for us. 
So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report which they, of the land which they'd spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. They also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. There seems to be a quirk of history that some things just happen over and over again. I suppose that most of us are at least somewhat familiar with a sketchy outline of Napoleon's life. This Corsican youth dragged by his father against his wishes to France. His father trying to find political escape and rest. He found himself soon in the French army. And it became obvious that he possessed tremendous ability as a leader. He was made commander of a certain segment of the French army. And before long, he was an emperor of a sort. It wasn't long until he set his gun sights on the world. He was going to conquer the world. And in the fall of 1812, buoyed by the confidence that he was, that, uh, that he was a strong leader and uh, with an enlarging empire, he took his army of thousands of men and marched on Russia. When he arrived at the Kremlin, he found an, an amazing thing. The people had just left. They had deserted the Kremlin and had gone into the landscape, didn't fight. He won by default. He became an emperor for a while of Russia, but it was a hollow victory. It was a victory by default. And so on October the 17th, he decided to take his army back to, to, to France. The problem was that the brutal Ru Russian winter had already set in, and he lost nine-tenths of his army just to the Russian winter. Isn't it amazing how that one thing could be someone's friend and another's foe. Without trying to be sensational this morning, I'm convinced that we are facing a Russian winter. I'm not talking about something meteorological. I'm talking about the winter of the soul. Our country is in trouble. It will not surprise you when somebody tells you that we're in trouble in this country and the windows of opportunity are rapidly closing so when the authors of history write about our generation, how will they say we responded to the crisis? He was right who said that the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. We had over a, a thousand years of military warning that you don't put your naval fleet in a bottleneck harbor, but we ignored those warnings. We even had the warning of Admiral, Admiral Richardson that our Pacific fleet was vulnerable, but we not only ignored his warning, he was sacked. And we had these little blips appear on a radar screen we had installed four months earlier to remind us to tell us of the approaching enemy. But these little blips we interpreted as friendly B-17s returning from the mainland. And so you know the rest of the story, the tragedy of Pearl Harbor. And the person was right who said that anyone who ignores the lessons of history 
are destined to repeat it. I'm convinced that we stand at a crucial juncture, not only in the life of our church, but in everybody in this room, in the life of everybody in this room. And how we deal with the Russian winter will determine our history. I think there's some lessons we can learn from this story. That's why Numbers 13 stands as such a beacon light warning everybody who would heed it back to the future. First lesson we can learn is this, that God wants our perspective and not our permission to do what He wants to do. He just wants our perspective. What do you think? So He sent them into the land. He said, I want you to take a look around. What does it look like? What do you think about it? How do you view it? What are the cities like? Get some fruit. What are the people like there? Just come back and tell me what you think. God doesn't want our permission. He just wants our perspective. That's an awesome thing in itself. I was reading a while back Psalm 116. It begins like this. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my supplication. Because He's inclined His ear to me, I will call on Him for as long as I live. He's saying, because God is interested in my perspective, you'll hear me praying from now on. And I thought about the time that I spent a week in a, in a home out in West Texas preaching revival. And one night some of the people of the church got over after the, after the church over to their house for a little fellowship. They had some of these wonderful, they had, they had several kids, and they were the most wonderful, respectful, well-behaved kids I've ever seen. And they were sitting around in the den, and we were all sitting in there. We're talking like old folks do. We're talking about the condition of the world. You know how that goes? And these kids were just sitting there listening, just taking it all in, soaking it up like a sponge. And then all of a sudden, an amazing thing happened. The father of those kids looked at his kids and said, What do you kids think? I mean, they, their eyes lit up like lights. And they, you could just hear them thinking, They want to know what we think. And they started jumping into the conversation. After that, you couldn't keep them quiet. God doesn't want your permission, but He does value your perspective. What do you think? What do you suppose is the most important phrase in this story I've read? It's, uh, let me give you a hint. It's in the second verse, and it says, the land that I'm going to give them. He said, I've already decided. I've already taken the initiative. I've already made up my mind what I'm going to do. I just want to know what you think about it, what your perspective is on it. There's a new book out. It's entitled, The Day America Told the Truth. It's probably the most comprehensive poll ever taken about what Americans think about America. The Day America Told the Truth. 10,000 people were polled and they were asked 2,000 questions. It took years to accomplish it. The findings of that poll are amazing. One thing they said was this, America has no moral leadership. Religious, political, and business leaders have failed us. Americans don't tell the truth. And we lie to those who are the closest to us. Husbands lie to their wives. Wives lie to their, to their husbands. Parents are not honest with their kids. Kids are not open with their parents. They don't tell the truth. One out of seven has been sexually abused as a child. One out of five has homosexual tendencies. One out of three married couples who were interviewed admitted to having at least one premarital affair. Fifty percent said they see no reason why anybody should ever marry. 
One out of seven said he carried a gun either on his person or in his car. But the last finding is the most amazing. They said the consensus was this. I'm willing to do anything I can to change my country. Whatever sacrifice it it requires, I'm ready to make it. Tell me what I can do. I'm sick and tired of the decline. I want to make a difference in my world. I want to make a change. I'm tired of the way it is. That's my perspective. I've seen the giants, but I know my God is bigger than the giants. Now, 12 of them were sent out. 10 came back to say, we can't do it. For they measured themselves against the soldiers, trained soldiers and the giants, and were filled with despair. But two measured the Anaks and the Amalekites against God, and they were jubilant. They didn't ignore the reality of the situation. They didn't turn their faces and look away with the reality of the situation. They just added into and changed the implied conclusion by the factor of the greatness of God. We can do it. You know what's happening in this story? Listen to me. God's just getting an attitude check. He's just getting an attitude check. He's just saying, How do you, what do you think about the way things are. How do you feel about this? I've made up my mind. I've got a plan for everybody, a plan for every life. I just want to know what you think about this. It's just an attitude check. Some of you need to put on a new attitude right right today, the beginning of this year. Two men were in prison. Two looked out and saw the stars. One looked out and saw the stars. The other looked out and saw the bars. It's just a matter of perspective. You might not be able to change all the circumstances around you, but you have a responsibility to change your attitude concerning them. E. Stanley Jones describing that first century world into which the Christian church came said this, quote, These girly Christians didn't sit around whining, saying, Look at what the world's coming to. They stood up and shouted, Look what's coming to the world. It's a matter of perspective. John Claypool was right. He said some people live with a presumption of despair. They have a proclivity to expect the worst, to view the future with apprehension. He said the problem with this proclivity to to, to expect the worst is that that it changes, it has such a negative effect on your quality of life. And it's not a mere neutral attitudinal stance to expect the worst. When you expect the worst, it creates an atmosphere. It creates conditions where the worst happens. That's why Jesus, why God sent them in and said, I want you to look around because I want to know how you feel about what I'm about to do. Did you see on CNN News this week? They crowned the grouch of the year. True, true story. I thought I recognized her. <laughs> I, before, before I turned around, I, I, I thought I recognized the gripe. The gripe the, you know, I turned around, didn't know her. Can you imagine? For two weeks, these people got together and listened to folks gripe. <laughs> and, and, they, and they crowned the grouch of the year. It's a 70-year-old woman. <laughs> and, and they gave her a plaque. It was hilarious. I, I, I sat there, I looked at it, I thought, man, I know this lady. Some of you were nominated. Okay. Uh, they, they, they gave this lady this plaque as the grouch of the year, you know what her response was? It's hilarious. She said, I accept this honor if it is an honor. (laughs) Grouch of the year. It's a matter of perspective. And someone told about going to that hockey game between those two teams of LDS kids, learning disability kids from the schools in the city. 
And they kind of changed up the rules. They modified the rules a little bit. They played a certain amount of time. At the end of that time, the game was over. 30 seconds before the game was over, one team was ahead, won one point. But the other team that was down one had the puck, and this little boy was was coming down the ice with the puck, and somehow he slipped it past the goalie right into the net just as the buzzer rang. They tied. It's like kissing your sister. You tied. But the amazing thing was that that guy at the goalie came skating out from, out from the goal and just let that puck slip by, and he lifted up his hands in exultation like they do and shouted, We both won! It's, it's just a matter of perspective. God wants your perspective, not your permission. He's already decided what He wants to do. And flows with milk. I don't know what that means. Maybe there are wild cows everywhere. <laughs> the hand flows with milk. He said the land flows with honey. Good news. I got the good news. The land flows with honey. Must have been beehives everywhere with honey dripping out the holes, those knot holes in those trees. Honey everywhere. And they said, you talk about grapes. We took a cluster of grapes and had to put it on a pole between the shoulders of men to carry it. So great. Now that's grapes. I got good news. This land is rich, and the grapes are like these. Got bad news. They're all growing in the backyard of the biggest men I've ever seen. <laughs> now don't, doesn't, it seem, doesn't it seem logical that if God said, I'm going to give you this land, he'd just give it to them without having to go through all that stuff? I mean, doesn't it seem like it'd be a lot better just to have kids without pain? <laughs> and all of a sudden you could just wake up, you got grown, mature, young people, mature, you know, spirit-filled, and you didn't have to go through a thing to get them there? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if you could just, you know, if you could just get an education without going to college? You could be 30 years old and, and not have to go through all the stuff you have to go through to get to be 30? Wouldn't it be great if you could just have a marriage that just flowed just easy and smooth and wonderful? just doesn't work that way. Now there's some things you can get by pressing a button. And there's some things you can get by rubbing something on. And there's some things you can get with nothing down. Watch this. But the things in life that are real valuable and important, the main things in life don't come that easy. And the poet said it like this, doesn't matter what the real estate men say, you can't buy a home. You've got to buy a house. And then with prayer and love and elbow grease, you try to make it what you're after. For homes are purchased not with cash, but with tears and sweat and laughter. Didn't come easy. Now, I'm not sure I know why, but I think I know this. That the reason why you got to go through the giants to get what God has for you is because when you get it, it means more to you. Unearth, are you listening to me? President Clinton, are you listen to me? <laughs> Unearned bread does never satisfy. Never satisfies. Why are kids so special? It's because you 
you went through pain to get them here. And you got up in the middle of the night and you diapered them and you gave them a bottle and you did all that stuff. Why are so kids so special? It's because you toss and turn at night until they get home and they're back safely in the nest. And what is the best marriage? It's not a marriage that just fits together and, and no problems at all. It's a marriage where there's adjustment, giving and receiving and forgiving. And what is the best job you've ever had? It's the one that has come to you on a silver platter, not on your life. It's the job where you've worked and sweated and earned your place. And to whom is this church the greatest? That person who has put his life here, sweated here and and wept here and prayed here. Now I'd like to be able to tell you that you're going to have a great church and everything is going to go great. All you got to do is just come in, sit down in here on Sunday morning and everything will work fine. All the rest is, is gravy. Everything's done for you. That's not the case and it's not the best at all. This church comes alive to the person who sweats for it and prays for it and dies for it to self. And so Halford Luckett tells about the guy who never got caught up. Sound familiar? Never got caught up. Had, had appointments he had to keep, calls he hadn't returned, bills that should have been paid, things he needed to do. He just never got caught up. He just drove himself and he'd go home in the afternoon and his yard needed to be mowed and his hedges needed to be trimmed and everything was going. He just never got caught up. And one night he went to sleep and had a dream. He dreamed he was sitting at this beautiful desk, shiny desk, wasn't a thing on it. No appointments, phone wasn't ringing, no calls to return. He, he started home, nothing to do. He started home and, and, he, and he, when he got to his house, the grass was manicured and the, and the hedges were trimmed. He saw the postman whistling down the street. He thought, well, he's got something. The postman came by and Passed right on by. He said, hey, don't you, have you got some bills for me to pay? Oh, he said, no, no bills, no appointments, no job, no nothing. And the man said, what is this? And the postman said, oh, didn't you know? This is hell. What could be worse than our Lord giving us a dream to dream? The ability to dream, no dream to dream. What could be worse than our Lord putting on the end of our arms hands to do work and be more work to do? Go out in a rest home, walk down the aisles and ask those people out there, what do you think of this? They'll tell you, this is hell. I've outlived my dream. Wouldn't it be tragic if we had no appointments to keep, no grass to mow, no job to do? That'd be hell. Isn't it great that God brought this this world to us unfinished straight from the quarry and says to us as He presents it to us, there's a job for you to do. You've got to go over the giants to get there. But when you get there, that thing you find is the strongest. And so Albert Wetledge tells about going out and walking one morning and he met a man headed up the mountains. Had an axe in his hand. He said, where are you going? He said, I'm going up there to get some timber, some wood for my boat. He said, well, here's timber everywhere. He's pointed to this peaceful, restful valley. Oh, he said, no, 
the kind of timber I need for my boat grows up there where the storms hit. I'm sure glad that when God put us here at the threshold of the winter of Russia, He didn't say, I'm going to make it easy for you. Smooth sailing, that's not the best. One last thought. Not only does He want our, pers her, our perspective, not our permission, not only does He want to bless and not banish us, but He wants to enable us, not embarrass us. Now, He didn't take those people out there into, into the new land and say to them, You wimps, look at those big guys with those muscles. You wimpy-looking, scrawny, out-of-shape wimps. Look at those guys. He didn't do that. I thought about that old rooster was walking around in the barnyard. He came up on that big old ostrich egg. Somebody, some old ostrich had laid out there in the barnyard. He looked at it a little bit. He went inside the hen house and called the girls to attention and said, Ladies, I don't want to embarrass you. And I'm not to here to complain, but I'd like for all of you to come out here and look at what somebody else is doing. He didn't take them in to the land and show them those giants with all those bulging muscles to say, I want to show you what you ought to be like. He didn't do that at all. And he didn't take them out to the Red Sea and press them up against it with the army pursuing them to say, you bunch of wimps, you ought to be able to take care of yourself. You know what he was doing? Listen to me. He was bringing them to the end of their selves so he could enable them and empower them. Listen to me. Until you understand your helplessness, you're in no position to be helped. And I live with a deep conviction that until a person stops trusting in himself, he'll never trust in God. And so he brings us out to this land of giants and says, this is, this is reality. This is the way it is. Can you handle it? And you say, be honest with you. I'm scared to death. And he says, well, good, because I'm going to empower you. Somebody asked me one time, they said, Preacher, do you ever, is there ever a time Sunday morning when you don't get nervous? Never. Saturday nights are hell for me. Margaret will tell you this. I hate Saturday nights because I know what I've got to do Sunday morning. I get sick. And when I come in here on Sunday morning, I am so scared, you would not believe. It's a true story. But I hope I never am any different. Because when you understand how inadequate you are, you will never, until then, you will never understand how adequate He is. And what He's saying is this. When you understand that you're not capable, then you will be. And so Joe Schrader has a great sermon, this story, and I'm out of here, entitled The 
tonic for the timid. And he said the New Testament epistle, the New Testament epistles pivot on a two-word phrase. Yes, but. The apostles were thrown in prison, but the word of God multiplied. And he said, if you want to find an example of it, turn to the second book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what Paul says. We are afflicted in every way, yes, but not crushed. We are perplexed, yes, but not despairing. We are persecuted, yes, but not forsaken. We are struck down, yes, but not destroyed. I like J.B. Phillips translated. We are struck down, but we are not counted out. Yes, but. I want you to factor in today to your life the adequacy of God and this understanding I can do all things through Christ who pours himself into me. Let's pray. Our Father, for these moments of invitation, we pray for a perfectly sensitive heart and an obedient will. For I ask in Jesus' name for His sake. Let me look, look here with me in just a moment. Maybe today some of you need to come and say, I want to give my life to Christ Jesus. Uh, for the first time, I want to begin to walk with Christ. I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. Or maybe you need to come this morning to say, here's my life, Lord. I want to be for God, all that I need to be for God. And I want to commit myself to Him fully, completely, on this day of new beginning. Or maybe you need to come and place your life in this church, and when they tally up and score this generation in light of the Russian winter, they'll find your name with the faithful. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.